Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to River Glen. My name is Don. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether you're here in Waukesha or Pewaukee or online, wherever you are, I just want to let you know that I am thrilled that you're here today. Well, I'd like to know how many of you guys are ready for Christmas. We're a week away. And what I mean by ready is if Christmas was tomorrow, you've got your presents wrapped, the cookies are baked, your house is clean, you're ready to go. Let me see a show of hands. Just a few. Christmas came up quick this year. Last night we asked, and it's the same response that we got here today. And what's funny is none of the guys raised their hand, but they all looked at their wife like, are we ready to go? And, and I'm not kidding. Last night, one of the guys raised his hand and his wife slapped it down. <laughs> true, true story. Hey, Sue brought up that we have nine identical Christmas Eve services coming up, and we do. We've got just a ton of different times, and I want to go through those with you so you can start to plan the service that you want to go to. So Saturday, we have no service here at the Waukesha campus. So if you show up, you're going to need to make sure you bring your own candles because there's not going to be anybody here. Sunday, we only have one. That's at 1030. All you 9 o'clock people get to sleep in. That's 1030 at both campuses. Monday, we have uh, 5.30 and 7 at Waukesha, and there is no service at the Pewaukee campus on Monday. And then Tuesday on Christmas Eve, it's 1.33, 4.30, and then at Pewaukee, 3 and 4.30. And again, they're all the same. Um, I'd like to ask you a favor, that you invite somebody, as Sue said, to one of these services. We've given you a lot of great tools. You can go to the Connect Wall. We've got invite cards. We have door hangers. You can even get a yard sign if you want. Um, I'd also like to ask you another favor, that if you're um, a regular here at, at River Glen and you call this your home, that you consider coming on Sunday or on Monday. And the reason why I'm asking is we have over 4,500 people that came last year across both campuses. So it was just really packed, especially on Christmas Eve, and we expect even more this year. And so we want to ask you, would you consider uh, coming on Sunday or Monday? Now, if you already have a friend coming on Tuesday, by all means, we would love it if you come to that as well. Well, today we're in the final week of a two-part series that we call Merry Conversations. And we want to help prepare you to start having conversations about faith and about God. Now, right away, right away I can feel kind of the anxiety in the room start to rise up to here. And, and you're thinking, I thought we were talking about merry conversations, not awkward conversations. And I get that because this time of year, we have so many awkward conversations between work parties and, and family gatherings that I thought it'd be fun to kind of come up with our own top 10 of awkward conversations that come up during the Christmas time. So you guys want to do this together with me? We're going to do this kind of David Letterman style. I've got some help here on the drums. Okay, you guys ready? Number 10, when are you going to get married? Number nine, are you still married? Number eight, take a look at this rash. Number seven, have you tried CrossFit? Number six, how much money do you make? Number five, are you really going to eat all that? Number four, did you get a real job yet? Number three, how far along are you? Okay, time out, time out. That is not a question you ask ever, not even if you're in the delivery room, okay? That's a, a pro tip for you. Okay, number two, who'd you vote for? Always a family favorite. Number one, whose hair is in the gravy? There you go, thank you. Well, well, today we want to help you with probably the most awkward conversation of all, especially during the holidays, and that's conversations of faith. 
What do you believe in? What do you think about the Bible? Can it be counted on? What do you think about Christians? All those things that can kind of take our anxiety level up to here and turn what should be merry conversations into awkward conversations. I know for me in particular, when people ask me, what do you do? Where do you work? And I mention anything about a pastor, and the conversation completely ends right there. Or I get the top 10 reasons why they haven't been able to make it to church lately. And I know for many of you, the same thing happens when conversations of God or faith come up, and it just seems to get a little awkward or it gets a little weird. But as awkward as those conversations can be, those kind of conversations matter, and they matter because of this. Heaven and hell are real, and real people go there. I know what some of you are thinking, really? Are we going to talk about hell a week away from Christmas? No, but follow me here. Listen, everybody that you lock eyes with, eternity hangs in the balance for them, just as much as it does for you and for me. And that's why knowing Jesus, the one who's promised us to take us into eternity with him, and we know that he can do that because he died and he rose again, that's why conversations of faith matter and why they can make the biggest impact on another person's life. In fact, there was this guy named Paul who in the first century was so opposed to Jesus that he persecuted and even killed Jesus' followers. Then he meets Jesus after his resurrection, and it completely changes everything, and he spends the rest of his life following Jesus. I'd like to jump ahead where we see Paul writing a letter to one of the early churches, and you can follow along by opening up your Bible to 2 Corinthians 5.18, and this is what he says, and all of this is a gift from God, and this gift that he's talking about is what we celebrated at communion, that Christ gave up his life for us, that he died for us, and because of that sacrifice, we're free. So, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. You ever see a a kid at Christmas who opens up a gift and he gets so excited about the gift he forgets about the rest of it? Sometimes as Christians, we get like that. We see something in scripture like a promise or a gift and we get really excited, but we kind of forget to read the rest of the scripture and take it all into context. So let's read the rest. It says, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So Paul says he's given us this gift, yes, but he's also given us this task of reconciling people back to us. We don't use this word reconcile much anymore. You heard it a lot when people talked about reconciling their checkbook register along with their bank statement to make sure everything was okay. Nowadays, we just go online and we trust it or we can do it online. But uh, I'll I'll tell you, there's a, a lot of people that are under 30 that are thinking, Don, I know what the word reconcile is, but I have no idea what a check register is. Anyways, this term reconcile means to make things right, and Paul says to be, we need to be a part of that, and he continues on in verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Jesus is reconciling us. He's paying this debt for us. It's kind of like a financial term. Now, I want to read that again because I think that's so important. I want you to read it with me. It says, And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. This is a wonderful message. We need to let people know that. And if you're here today, and and the reason that you haven't really been interested in God or the Bible is because you heard a message of guilt and shame and condemnation, then I got to tell you, you didn't hear the wonderful message of Jesus. If the message of Jesus wasn't wonderful, then it wasn't the right message. Because the message that God has for us is that it's a message of grace and mercy and hope, and that's wonderful. So Paul continues, So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, 
come back to God. If we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, then we need to realize that we're going to be ambassadors for Christ. And it's on us, on both of us, to bring people back to God. And the truth is that the only reason that we ever became followers of Christ is because somebody took that scripture to heart and they invited us. They invited us into a relationship with God. So if we're called to be ambassadors, we shouldn't really take this lightly. So I want to take time to look at that and see, well, what does that look like and, and how do we do that? How do we actually become ambassadors? So let's just jump into where Paul talks about, he brings up the first question and that's in Romans 10, 14 and 15. And look what he writes to another group of believers in the first century. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? In other words, you have this friend and you love this friend, but you also have Jesus and you love Jesus and you'd like them to get to meet each other. You'd like them to know each other. And so Paul says, and how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And here's where he wraps this up. And this is, that is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Again, it's good news, not bad news, not a message of condemnation, not a message of anger. No, what does it say? It says a message of good news. So Paul's pretty clear here that um, all of this is hinging on you and me, on us telling other people we're the messengers. And this is where we start to get a little weirded out and we think, okay, I, I get that, but I'm just not very good at that. That's not something that I think that I can do. I think a lot of other people can do that. Matter of fact, I think that's why we have Ben, isn't it? Because Ben can go do that. Don, you're on staff. Why don't you go do that? I think that's probably something that you'd be good at. But listen, God just hasn't really kind of gifted me in that way. But we know we're supposed to be ambassadors. We know we're supposed to be messengers. We just read that. So here's what we do sometimes. We think, okay, Maybe what I'll do is I'll just be the best version of a Christian that I can be, and when people see me, they'll kind of get the hint. I think they'll kind of get the message. And what we don't realize is that that doesn't work. That's kind of like, you know, I have a lot of plumbers that come to my house, a lot. But just because they come to my house all the time and they're in my vicinity doesn't make me any closer to being a plumber. I wish it did. I'd probably save me a lot of money, but it doesn't really work that way. Or another thing we do is we put a Christian bumper sticker on our car and we go, you know what, this will be an easy way that I can kind of share my faith. Now, I'm not knocking bumper stickers. We have some in the lobby and I have one on my car. But I'll tell you, um, when I put a bumper sticker on my car, it's probably not the safest thing to do. I can imagine me driving down the road with, you know, witnessing behind the wheel until somebody cuts me off. And then what do you do? You, you have to return the favor. And in that moment, my full love of Jesus is on display along with my River Glen bumper sticker. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I removed it. <laughs> now, there's another way that we do this sometimes, too. We think sometimes that we can secretly kind of shame somebody, tell them what's wrong with them, and somehow they're going to realize that they need Jesus. It's kind of like having a friend of a friend who who uh, loves Weight Watchers and is always talking about Weight Watchers. And, and then he says, hey, in December, we got a special going on, like you're doing them some type of a favor. And that doesn't just work that way. Listen, people don't come to faith because you smile at them or because you have the latest church merchandise or because you're really good at secretly shaming them to get to know Jesus. That's not how it works. They, under, they come to understand faith through a relationship. You see, the people that you and I listen to 
are the people that we trust, not the people that we don't. So when it comes to sharing our faith, I think I've discovered that it really comes down to two words, and I think anybody can do these two words, and it's invest and invite. But here's the key. I think it's so important that you do these in the right order, that you invest way before you invite. In management and business, there's a really popular phrase by Theodore Roosevelt. It says, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't that true? And I think Jesus was the best at modeling that. So make sure you invest before you invite. Just invest in other people. No strings attached. No agenda. Just literally care about people. Start investing in a relationship. Inviting people over for dinner before you ever invite them to church. Befriend them. Be the kind of neighbor who takes their trash back up to the curb. Be the kind of neighbor who who snow plows the sidewalk in front of their house. Bring over a meal when they're sick. Ask them how they're doing. Pray for them. Love them. Just care for them. But no strings attached. And then just start praying for God to open up opportunities to talk about your faith, what you believe in. Make it simple and just wait and see what God does. Now, what I don't mean is this, is that you get up in the morning and you go out to your car and you see your neighbor getting into his and he looks up and says, wow, what a beautiful sunset. This is not your time to go... Yes, and I know the artist. Would you like to know him too? Don't do that. That's weird. That is not a message from God, okay? Here's what's going to happen over time. You're going to get to know this person. You're going to build a friendship, and they're going to build trust in you, and you're going to build trust in them. And then at some point, they're going to ask you questions about your faith and what you believe and about your marriage and how did you fix your marriage and how did you deal with loss and about this hope that you seem to have. And when they ask these questions, I know what can happen. Sometimes you start to get nervous, you start to sweat, and you think, okay, do I know enough? Have I memorized enough scripture? I don't know if I've been to enough small groups. I don't think I can do this. I'm going to have to invite somebody over for church. But listen, that isn't what you have to do. All you have to do is invite. That's all that you have to do. Invite them to an experience here. Invite them to a church service. Invite them to a Christmas Eve service. We've been talking about the last few weeks that during Christmas, during a holiday season like this, people are more open to an invite than any other time of the year. Matter of fact, studies show that 57% of the people, if asked to come to a service during Christmas, would actually come. Just invite, and it's that easy. And what's fascinating about this is this is a way that Christians have been doing this for over 2,000 years since Christ walked the earth. So let's look at it together at these eyewitness accounts of invest and invite in the book of John. The book of John is one of four biographies we have of Jesus, and John begins this biography talking about the interactions that Jesus had with people as he went from town to town, inviting people into his inner circle. And what's interesting about these interactions is these people he's inviting in to be disciples, they don't even believe that he's the son of God yet. Isn't that kind of familiar? A lot of the people we have conversations with, they're not really sure what they believe either. So starting in John 1.35, we see more of these interactions. The following day, John, now the John he's talking about is not himself, it's not the author, it's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came before Jesus and he was telling everybody about Jesus coming. And matter of fact, he was Jesus' cousin and he had his own group of disciples before Jesus ever came on the scene. So the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by John, he looked at him and declared, Look, the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. And look what happens immediately afterwards. 
Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. Can you start to see the ripple effect take place? John sees Jesus and says, hey, look, there he is. And then Andrew goes to follow Jesus. And then Andrew says, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to get my brother. And then Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. Now notice Andrew says, um, he's already in a relationship. Andrew is already in a relationship with Simon, his brother. He's already close to him. He doesn't find somebody that he doesn't know. He finds somebody that he's already comfortable with. And he doesn't immediately start telling him all the reasons that he, he believes in Jesus or, or the top 10 reasons why he believes is a true Messiah. He just invites him. He just says, come and see. So if we read on, it says, so looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So he gives Cephas a new name, which means Peter, which translates to the rock. By the, by the way, the rock means that this is the person that he's going to build the church upon. So from here, Peter goes on to be one of Jesus' closest friends. He becomes one of the most influential leaders in the early church, not only by bringing so many people to Christ, but having the church built on him, the foundation built on Peter. But all this started with just come and see, come and see Jesus. Ben said that last week in his story as well. They were just come and see moments. I have this friend of mine who has an amazing story, a, a great come and see moment himself. And I asked him to share it with us on this video. Check it out. Hi, I'm John. I've been attending River Glen for about eight years. The first time I came to River Glen was when I was invited to play music at a Good Friday service. I was in an Irish band with a friend of mine, Aaron Kraft, who had been attending for, for several years. He wanted our little Irish band to accompany the, the, the singers for a Good Friday service. We showed up and, and we walked into the old FLC and I was thinking to myself, what kind of church is this? We played and I, I listened to the message and uh, I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. About a year later, we were having a rehearsal on a Thursday night and he said, uh, hey, you want to play a, a acoustic guitar? And I said, sure, I'm available. Played that first uh, service and I remember I went down and sat down and I listened to Steve Larson. Steve Larson was speaking. Uh, here was a gentleman up there who was talking about his daughters going off to school and it was about the same time that my daughters were going off to school and it was it was clear that he was struggling with the idea as as I was and I, I really really connected to that message man I never stopped after that so after I went to that first service I immediately thought of my daughter Hannah I feel like she had been drifting a little bit and I was very excited by the music uh, I, I love the message. So I, I talked to Hannah and, and uh, she wanted to come to a service and my wife Kimberly decided to join in. For me, I've always had a clear picture of what I wanted for my family with regards to faith. So I knew when we were choosing to go to River Glen, this was a family choice. We all decided to get baptized together as a family on a separate service because when one foot enters, the other one follows. When I saw my dad play and I heard the message, it just like, it just sunk in my heart that this is the place that I need to start attending. Um, having River Glen as a home church uh, helped me throughout college and into my teaching career. 
I'm now uh, working on curriculum for City of Light Church, and I'm um, helping other kids find their path with God as well. My youngest daughter, Emma, she started uh, attending River Glen. In fact, she was the one that saw a video uh, for Haiti. She wasn't old enough to go by herself, so I needed to, to, to go with her. So I said, well, I'll, I'll go with you. It was amazingly impactful to, to spend the time with those orphans, uh, to, to spend the time with Pastor Noel, uh, to spend time with God just for an entire week, just immersing yourself in, in His work and, and in His Word. Definitely fell in love with Haiti and been on, on uh, four or five trips now. You know, oftentimes you invite people to church and you want them to have some sort of epiphany and have them race right up to where you are in, in, in your journey, and that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of home runs out there. There's not people who are going to walk in and see the light, but you still got to swing. You know, if you just get some bunts, get a few singles, get people into the door, that's what happened to me. I got in the door and it was a year later that I came back in the door and I caught the right message at the right time and never turned my back. John a hand. Now, what a great story of invest and invite. After they shot the video last week, John sent me an email, and this is what he shared. On Sunday, we had a big family dinner for my daughter's birthday. I was sitting there after dinner, and it dawned on me that everyone at the table had been to River Glen. Everyone came from different places, some with no faith, some with little, some just curious, some from other churches. But those 11 people, including me, would never have set foot in River Glen, and in some cases any church, had Aaron Kraft not invited me back in 2011. And I start to see the impact that, that John's had on River Glen, on Celebrate Recovery, on Haiti and those kids. And I mean, the guy's been on five mission trips. And, and I see what, what's happened and the impact that's happened in his own family. And I wonder, what would have happened if somebody didn't invest and invite John? Because John didn't just choose to follow Christ, he chose to be an ambassador for Christ. He's now investing and inviting people, and he's creating this ripple effect that will last eternity through people's lives. So I want to encourage you, too, to step out of, in faith and, and step out of your comfort zone and start investing in people and start inviting people, and just, just as God, God has called us to do. I'd like to take a minute. I'd like to talk to the people here in the room that, that follow Christ. That means if you're new here today and you're just checking us out, first of all, I'm so glad that you're here. But this is a, a time where you can kind of just sit back and listen in. Before we start, I want you to know that I'm not speaking to any one particular individual or person. I'm speaking to the church, and that includes me. And I'm speaking out of love because I love this church. I love the church, God's church. 
And I know that when we're healthy and we're focused on the right things and we're focused on God's mission, God can do amazing things through us. So I want to ask you, what would cause us not to work, this invest and invite? Something Jesus has taught us to do, something the church has done for over 2,000 years. What would cause us to all break down? I'd like to tell you two other words. Spiritual narcissism. Maybe you've heard the story in Greek mythology about a hunter named Narcissus. He walks by a pool of water and he sees his own reflection and he becomes so enamored with it, his own image, that he refuses to leave the pool because he won't leave or disturb the pool's water in fear of losing sight of himself. He eventually dies of thirst. It's kind of the reality of any narcissist, isn't it? They focus on them and eventually it leads to their own demise. And just like the hunter narcissist, we don't even realize sometimes that we're focused on ourselves. And the reason that we don't recognize it is because sometimes we say it or we hear it and it comes out in language like this. I just want to go where I'm being fed. Do you ever hear that one? It's as if we're unable to feed ourselves and we're going to have to rely on whoever's giving the message on a Saturday or Sunday to feed us. Or it sometimes comes out in language like this. I just want to go to where I'm being ministered to. As if following Jesus is all about ministry happening to you instead of through you. I think this is such a a trap that the devil lays out for us. And I want to say that again. It's all about ministry happening not just to us, but it's about happening through us. Or we walk out of a service and we say, you know what, I I didn't get a lot out of today's message. As if that was the point. Instead of walking out of, the, out of the service saying, what did God get out of that? What did my unchurched friend or my unchurched family member get out of that? But here's what I want you to know. Every single weekend experience is created with you and your unchurched friend in mind. We make the music a little loud. So if, if you want to sing along and you want to worship God, guess what? Guess what? Don't worry. Nobody's going to be able to hear you anyways. We make it a little dark, so if you're moved by a message or song and God's speaking directly to you and your eyes get a little damp, don't worry about it. Nobody's even going to notice. We want to give you a message where you're going to hear the good news of Jesus, and we want you to have an opportunity to experience God, but we also want you to have an opportunity to worship God. But when we walk out of here like we just left a restaurant and we give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, it all becomes about us. Listen, if I'm being honest, all these situations have happened to me before at one time or another as I fell into that trap and it all starts to become about me. What we do in here all becomes about me. What's so ironic about that, though, is that we follow a king who says this, I have come to serve, not to be served. I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. Not my will, but your will be done. Notice the theme there. I need you to know that this is a disease that will kill a church. So let me ask you then, well, what is a church supposed to be? I heard this story about this this boat that was built by the Navy back in the 1940s. It was a massive ship. The government uh, commissioned $80 million to build this ship. And it was built to carry 15,000 troops into battle. It was built to go over 50 miles an hour, which, by the way, is still the fastest ship and over 10,000 miles without ever stopping. But by the time they finished building it in 1952, the SS United States was no longer needed. Well, they converted it into a luxury liner, 
where it would carry presidents and heads of state where they needed to go. And instead of carrying 15,000 people, it would now carry 2,000 people to whoever could afford it. And they took all the space and they renovated it to have over 600 rooms, four dining rooms, three bars, 19 elevators, two theaters, and over five acres of open space. And by the way, it was the first air-conditioned ship. And instead of a battleship taking troops to battle, it became a cruise ship where patrons could enjoy all the luxuries that the ship would have to offer on their journey. So what is a church supposed to be? I'll tell you. The church has been designed to go to the heart of the battle. The church has been designed to go where needs need to be met. Rather than just sitting here waiting for a personal message that's geared for us, one that I can hold on to for myself. The church is supposed to be on mission and against, in a battle against, not against people, but against the things that hurt people. Battling against despair and doubt and confusion and fear, depression and anxiety and cutting and suicide and addiction and hurts and habits and hang-ups, broken marriages, wayward teens, and people who desperately need hope. That, that is what the church is supposed to be. And why would we ever stop inviting and investing people? Why wouldn't we take a chance and invest and invite? Why wouldn't we offer an invitation to a Christmas service or to any service for that matter? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that is our prayer for this church, my prayer for you, that you would catch that vision, that you would decide to invest and invite and make an an eternal impact on the life of somebody else. Because there are people that Jesus misses and we get to bring them home. We get to bring them home. We should be pleased about that. We should be excited about that. Friends, our Heavenly Father has welcomed us home and he said there are so many other people who don't know me, who don't know my love for them, my grace for them, and that they can spend eternity with me. Would you go take care of them? Would you bring them home until I come back for you? So who's that going to be in your life? Maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor. And you're going to start praying for them. And maybe they don't even show up this Christmas. And that's okay. Maybe it's next year. But you're just going to start to invest in them and pray for them. Because you know that that hope is for everyone. And they need that. We have these trees up from last week. And they have ornaments on them that say hope and believe and peace and joy. And last week Ben asked us to grab one that best reflected somebody that we wanted to pray for. Someone that we know that needed to experience a relationship with Jesus. Maybe somebody we're just starting to invest in or we want to invest in. Or maybe it's somebody we've already invested in and we want to invite now. Now's the time to invite. Or they're still up here. And I want to invite you after the service is over. Um, you, can, you can just come up front and you can grab one and take it home and pray along with the rest of us that that person comes to know Jesus. Well, here's what, how I'd like to end the service today. I'd like to know, can I, can I pray for you? If today's your first time here and, and this is all just new to you, can I pray that you get to know Jesus the way that I know him? Because I want you to know that he is madly in love with you and he wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you just the way that you are today. And for those of you that follow Jesus at Call River Glen, your home, can I pray for you along with me that as a church we continue to focus on what God has called us to do 
that, that, he, that we continue to focus on what his mission is and that as a church, we'll stay focused on this and that our gates will swing wide, our praises will go up, and our walls will start to come down. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to lift up those people who are in this place today that are searching and that are looking for that peace that only you can provide. And I pray that they come to know you, the love that you have for them, that joy that comes from being in a relationship with you. Father, as they come before you, I pray that you fill them with your presence and with your love. And God, thank you for allowing every one of us to be a recipient of the invitation that you extended to us. God, I just pray that we would be a church and a people that would pass it on to others and invite instead of holding on to the gift that you've given us. Help us be a church that doesn't just huddle every week, but instead lives out our faith by putting others before ourselves. Father, thank you for your son and his saving grace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.